Okay, I'm going to start broadcasting now. Warm welcome to everybody who already tuned in. We'll have a fantastic program for you today. Um, and while we wait for a few more joiners, please be reminded to use, please, the Q&A function where you can leave your questions and also upvote those of others. And we'll have plenty of time to address your questions because it's all about making this information as useful for you as possible. Um, our guests and Chris are all hyped up and ready to roll uh, in a few seconds. So uh, please feel free to leave your questions under the Q&A tab. Um, and otherwise, if you want to speak to Chris or me, please also uh, contact us. We are more than happy to talk about um, how you get the right funding and your story out here in Southeast Asia. If you wanna tweet and share um, what you hear today, please use the hashtag Southeast Asia Connect, hashtag Southeast Asia Connect to share what you hear and see and hopefully like. Chris, today ad tech is the big topic. What excites you about ad tech? Well, you know, uh, it, it, it's one of the favorite times of my life, right? You, you make a lot of great friends and drink. And, um, uh, you know, hopefully you learn something along the way. And that's why it's really good to reconnect with Raj and, and Jan, because um, uh, hopefully, you know, it's one of those things that we can pass on to the next generation and, and really equip them for the challenges and opportunities for tomorrow. So I'm really excited to really find out about how are we equipping our people, um, what are the opportunities there, and, 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 and to really improve, uh, you know, something that's been designed uh, for the industrial uh, age uh, so long. So we're looking at a transformation that's, you know, been at least 100, 150 years making. So I'm certainly looking forward to our discussion today. Excellent. And uh, welcome everybody who's tuning in from Southeast Asia and beyond. The numbers are climbing. That's fantastic. Um, so welcome to Southeast Asia Connect. This webinar and podcast series is brought to you uh, by uh, Chris and Northwest Partners and Precious Communications. It's for founders and investors of Southeast Asian startups where we're connecting the startup ecosystem to the world. Um, my name is Lars Frudisch from Precious and uh, we worked with over 300 startups uh, across the world and especially in this part uh, of Asia and have helped to tell stories that led to M&A activities in excess of $10 billion. Chris, over to you. And I'm Chris Tran, head of Northridge Partners. We work with Southeast Asia's technology entrepreneurs to raise capital, grow their businesses and at the right time exit. On today's topic, EdTech in Southeast Asia, educated and dangerous. What we've seen is that rising wages in Southeast Asia has always meant a need for a more productive workforce. However, the new competitors are not necessarily lower cost countries. Indeed, machines and automation have really come to the fore. In 2017, quarter three, Goldman Sachs pointed out that the average cost of a tier one Chinese factory worker was now more expensive than a robot. Indeed, Former US Democratic presidential candidate, Andrew Yang, pointed out automation as a real issue to mass unemployment and a key reason as to why Donald Trump got elected into power. In Southeast Asia, 
outside of Singapore, where 99% of the Southeast Asian population lives, there is no university ranked within the global 50. And so is there an even greater challenge here, given that we can't produce a high pro productivity workforce given insufficient educational institutions? Today, we probe into, could the lack of the right education derail the Southeast Asian miracle? How are the education design, delivery, engagement and payment models adapting? Is it working? And thirdly, behind education unicorns of China and India, they've been very successful and could Southeast Asia actually produce one of its own? Back to you, Lars, for today's poll. Thank you. Let's let's have a look into how our audience feels about how are our uh, governments doing in terms of uh, education and getting everybody ready for Industry 4.0. So are we right or poorly equipped? Yes, we are poorly equipped, maybe poorly, but getting better or no, doing a great job. So please uh, cast your vote. Let's see what you think if we are rightly equipped to uh, head on towards the future. So let's launch the uh, launch the poll. There we go. So maybe poorly, but getting better. Very poorly. Only two people uh, think that. Uh, yeah. Uh, educational institutions are doing a good job. So uh, bad news for those that are stuck in systems that don't work. Great news for our panelists today because they're here to change the world. Chris. Fantastic. So I'm just delighted here to have absolute rock stars in the education and ed tech industry, starting off with Raj, who runs Southeast Asia for Kaizen, one of the largest investors PE funds in the human capital edtech sphere, and also Jan, who's two-time entrepreneur, CEO of Epitome, and preparing people for the challenges and opportunities that Industry 4.0 and the 21st century truly delivers. So on to our first topic, you know, why really invest in education? And this is for Raj. Kaizen, other than a Japanese word for continuous improvement, what why Kaizen? What does the fund exist for? Well, thanks for having me, guys. Um, well, Chris, like you said, I think, you know, the first and the foremost, um, you know, motto of Kaizen is continuous improvement that we practice within our company. We also, you know, help companies where we invest to practice that philosophy. So uh, that's number one. But, you know, as you said, we are an education-focused private equity fund. Um, you know, the way we look at our job is to help entrepreneurs. We help entrepreneurs to scale. Uh, we help entrepreneurs to realize their dream, uh, you know, for the time we are there with them. So we are a partner who helps them to put actions into their dream. We help them in, um, you know, in recruiting teams. We help them in getting expert in various functions. So, you know, so that's our job. And um, education, we believe, uh, and to your first question, right? Why education? I think it's a catalyst. It's a catalyst for a better world. And I think this is probably the right time when we talk about some catalysts which will make the world a little better, more equal than what it is today, you know, especially what's happening in the Western world, right? So can education be one of those catalysts, uh, you know, to create an equal opportunity you know, no matter what kind of color we have, right? Um, so I think, you know, edu education uh, plays its role uh, both in the developed world and in the developing world. And we are focused on, you know, entirely on the developing world and, um, you know, where it's all the more important. You look at the poll, uh, I, I think many people might have played safe, but, you know, I would have said, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, kind of poor at this point in time, right? Um, so, you know, that's our dream to help it to get to the, uh, a level where the quality of education improves. Uh, thank you, Raj. Now, very often, not always, you need money to do this, right? So 
Can you give us a sense of how big is the fund? So uh, our private equity fund, uh, you know, we are an asset management company. Um, you know, we had two private funds. We are running two private equity funds right now. Both put together is about $170 million. Um, we also are raising a, you know, debt fund, which will be entirely focused on, you know, affordable private schools in Africa, um, India, and Southeast Asia. Uh, that, you know, that is in process. So I won't be commenting on the size until it closes. Um, but, you know, next year we're going to start, uh, you know, raising an equity fund uh, again, which will be larger in size. Uh, and our deal size, which is more relevant, I believe, you know, it's uh, it's at the $10, $15 million range. Uh, so it's targeted to the SMEs, um, you know, companies who are at the growth stage, who like to scale, who go to the next level. So that's the kind of uh, sweet spot we operate in. And, you know, the reality, though, it's it's fashionable, right, to raise money from LPs. You know, you say that you're doing good for the world, ESG, uh, you know, and, and good on you. You've got the money, it's worked, and hopefully the management fee is looking after you a bit. But, uh, Raj, tell me, why do we really need an education fund? I mean, can you at least walk us through a real-life case study where you've looked after a founder? You know, what have you actually done for one of your investees? Right. Good, good, good question, Chris. And thanks for putting me on the spot. Now I have to think through, right? <laughs> well, you know, so the first and foremost, I mean, what's the benefit of a sector focused fund? I think the benefit is that you gain this expertise across different functions of a sector, and then you kind of apply the, those, uh, you know, expertise in other companies, right? Um, so you kind of develop this uh, niche on various functions and um, you know you uh, you help your entrepreneurs to dig onto the niche and um, so so that's number one number two is um, digital intervention um, and I think uh, you know we were just chatting before we went live that how you know some of the retail companies are now thinking of shutting down the stores and going online right uh, and and education here you go that you know we are talking about there won't be any schools until a vaccine is found in the Philippines. In India, people are gunning for it. So what do we do? Um, you know, digital intervention, I believe, is one of the areas where we help entrepreneurs, um, you know, in a big way. Um, and it's not just, uh, you know, education delivery. It's marketing, it's sales, it's customer service. Uh, so I would say that um, there are three tangible benefits. Number one, is we can help you to scale by getting the best practices and experts in every function, number one. Number two is we will help you or we will create the framework and nudge you, uh, you know, to go digital, right? In as many functions as possible, including online, pure online learning, right? And number three is you can tap into our network and you know, talk to companies in different regions uh, of Asia, even the United States or Latin America, and you can learn from them what's working, what's not working, right? Uh, case study, probably doing a case study at this point in time would, uh, you know, take, take would, would be taking away time from Jan, but, um, you know, I'm just, yeah, but, but happy to, you know, uh, you know, walk, walk you through uh, in our next drinks, yeah. So Raj, you're trying to tell me that not only do you have the money, but you have the brains and some friends, i.e. network? Yes, I, I think, you know, we definitely have the friends, but you know, what we what we really focus on that we need to on the trust and the respect of the entrepreneurs we invest in because we respect them. And unless they respect us, you know, they won't be listening to all our, you know, suggestions and you know, interventions. So I, I think our job is to first, you know, gain their trust, um, you know, um, also kind of uh, exhibit uh, what kind of value we can add, you know, by closely working with them. Um, and then once we have done that, then, you know, we can open our doors, you know, they can go and meet experts in every field possible. But the primary task is to, uh, is, is, is to become their true partner. Fantastic, sounds like a, 
a good partnership approach and a, and a good way to, you know, be part of a broader ecosystem. Um, tell us about one of your investments and, you know, what, what, what made you so excited about actually having the conviction to put the money into it? Well, yeah, that's a tough one, Chris. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's very tough to select which company you like the most. I mean, we have companies across the value chain of education, starting from kindergarten, um, you know, all the way to higher education, you know, online, offline, and every company, you know, has their, uh, you know, sweet spot, um, their, you know, niche positioning, and we work with all of them. And, you know, it's a cycle, right? We Sometimes we engage with them heavily. Uh, some, sometimes, we, you know, it's not that, uh, it's not that consistent. Um, but I would say, uh, you know, you know, last year we in Vietnam uh, in a company called Yola. Um, I'm quite excited about it. I mean, I mean, you probably know the founders of the company as well. Um, we have started working with them very closely and it has been a, you know, wonderful partnership so far. Um, you know, and the reason I like it is, you know, Vietnam is a country, uh, you know, th there's a massive growth. And the reason for this massive growth is, you know, people, uh, you know, coming up the income level and they are spending on, uh, you know, things like education, right? And education spending as a percentage of their whole wallet is probably number one and number two in the world. And uh, I mean, statistics just say that how much they care for, you know, making their kids study and then, uh, you know, go for higher, higher education. So we kind of respect that. And, you know, our goal is to really provide a quality education to this massive population who is, you know, who just, you know, earning, uh, you know, earning their money to get their kids educated. Um, and uh, Yola is a company which focuses on um, supplementary learning. And, um, you know, not every government and, and for sure the government in Southeast Asia, South, Southeast Asian countries uh, do not have the means to, uh, you know, create schools, create an environment where, you know, people get educated in, in modern way. Um, so language learning, supplementary learning is a big, uh, you know, is a big segment um, for, uh, you know, for population to, you know, go and study after school. Um, so Yola focuses on that, um, you know, entrepreneurs who are very young, um, you know, it's their dream to, you know, create, a, you know, real quality education and, uh, you know, scale this, uh, you know, business massively, uh, scale their offering massively. Um, and, you know, as we speak, they are, uh, you know, they are always thinking of, uh, you know, what's the next product? And the next product is uh, pure online. So we want to create a wider impact. Um, we want to go to provinces. Uh, we want to go to a different economic segment. Uh, and we want to reach out to people uh, who do not want to travel, right? We'll learn from the home. Uh, so we are launching online product, uh, just online. Uh, there might be a blended component there. Uh, so I'm pretty excited uh, with that investment. But like I said, you know, there are, there are good stories everywhere. Congratulations on that investment. It's it's a very good company. Um, where we are delighted to to know the people running it. It was doing great until last year, but doing even better this year. So, uh, uh, yeah, well done, I mean, there, you know, <laughs> yes, yeah, they're, they're fantastic. A really, really good one. Um, we've seen some spectacular unicorns out of China and India. Uh, New Oriental from China is listed on Nasdaq with a twenty billion dollar valuation. Uh, Baidu from India is worth, at last count, $5.4 billion. Will Southeast Asia get its own education unicorn at some point? Well, is that for me or for Jan? I mean, I'm getting the hard questions, looks like. <laughs> yeah, you know, Chris, I would say that you give it a time. Um, you know, China and India recently, in I won't say recent, but it's been two years now, you know, online education has taken off. And um, in, if you see the, you know, the core drivers of online education at a, you know, at the big picture level, right? Number one comes access. Uh, number two is, you know, online education is engaging and it's also a good tool to measure. 
I mean, for example, this conference, I right now exactly know how many participants are there. And I know that they're more focused, uh, you know, compared to a physical, you know, conferences, which we, if, you know, if we were having a physical conference, right? Um, so online education has its benefit. Um, it provides access and it's affordable, right? Uh, it solves convenience. Now, these are the macro factors which have played out, uh, you know, in India, um, in China, and I don't see any reason it's not going to play out in Southeast Asia. We were already seeing companies in Singapore, we're seeing in Indonesia, in Vietnam, you know, they're focusing on online learning and, um, you know, they would reach that billion dollar valuation, you know, cohort, right? But to me, more than becoming, uh, you know, this whole billion dollar valuation game, I would say that I would judge companies by how much, you know, how wide their impact is, you know, how many students are they serving, whether the business model is sustainable or not, right? So even if it's, you know, instead of billion dollar valuation, if it's $200 million valuation and they're more sustainable, you know, I would say that's a, that's a big success. Absolutely. So maybe we'll move on from Raj, the money man, using the money to change the world, which is fantastic. And Lars, if you can uh, maybe take over and uh, let's find out about Epitome with Jan, the man that's creating the dream. Before I, before I start asking some questions, a reminder our uh, guests, please, if you have any questions for Jan, Raj, Chris, or me, use the Q&A section here uh, in Zoom and uh, we'll answer them because we have some fantastic time at the end to answer your question. Um, Jan, so um, your company, uh, is it a clothing brand? Is it, is it a rocket company? What does it do? <laughs> it's a bit of everything. Um, no, seriously, um, Epitome is, is a, a workforce analytics organization, and we provide data to governments so they can make data-driven policy-changing decisions instead of gut decisions regarding their workforce, regarding unemployability, upskilling and reskilling. We're providing data to organizations so they can make data-driven recruitment decisions, team optimizations, and basically help them survive the fourth industrial revolution, which we are in the midst of. And then we try to find identity and purpose for everybody in the world. So the result would be that they can be the epitome of themselves. Okay, so um, <laughs> talking about reskilling, um, that seems to be kind of the, the perfect storm then for a company like you right now, no? Yeah, um, exactly. If you if you see what has been happening in the last few weeks and months, um, basically what we were telling last year in August or, or, or December 2019, we were saying the fourth industrial revolution is coming. 50% of the jobs are going to disappear. 85% of the jobs in 2030 still haven't been invented yet. Um, students are not in alignment with their career choice. Now fast forward a few more months, all these problems became even worse, right? So suddenly companies have to move everything online. Schools have to move everything online. And th th there's a completely new way of, uh, of working. So what we have seen during this, this crisis basically is that we are in the business of transforming the, the, the workforce for the future. And the COVID-19 crisis has really crystallized that and has really showed that we really need to think differently. We really need to move online. And it has been a really crazy few weeks and months for us. Mm. Um, so um, how often do you have to hold yourself a little bit back and, and, and not say, I told you so? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm actually, uh, one time I, I was mentioned by a, a, a my investor, who is also a mentor and became a personal friend, and he, he basically always said to me, like, Jan, you are, you are a missionary. You're not a mercenary. You know, like, you're spreading the word. And, and that's what we have been, been trying to do. You know, COVID-19 fast forward the fourth industrial revolution. That fourth industrial revolution was going to come no matter what. So, so it's, it's actually helping our case. We, we, we see now that a lot of countries and a lot of um, companies that we were talking a year ago, they, they came back to us now. A year ago, our platform was a nice to have. It was not a necessity. Today, our platform is a necessity, not a nice to have anymore. So that's what, what changed it for us. So we are kind of pleased, of course, 
bad what happened, but you know, we're kind of pleased that now this everybody changed their perspective of like, hey, we need to change our way of work, we need to change our way of living, etc. So everybody will always agree on on general we need to do something, but what are some of the brands that already started working with you maybe last year? to really look into that change? Maybe we can share uh, a brand you're working with that already looking into that transformation? Yeah, I'm, 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 um, we, we have three segments at this moment that we are doing. We are working with governments, we're working with education institutions, and we're working with uh, private organizations, enterprises, etc. So here in the region, um, we, for example, are working with uh, a country in ASEAN where we have delivered the National Workforce Analytics Portal. So basically, every single one of their institute of higher learning is connected to this portal. Every graduate is coming through our portal. We will profile them and we will assess them. And then we find out certain things for them. And then we provide career services for them. We take them to an internship because you're not ready to go for a job yet. We take you to an apprenticeship to learn even more. We take you to content to upskill you and future-proof you even more or even make you more employable or we can take you to jobs. So that's one national platform that we're running in a, in a very nearby uh, country. Another example, for example, is that governments have to change. You saw the governments, how distressed they were in the last few weeks and months. Suddenly they have to do press releases. Suddenly they have to make infographics. Suddenly they have to give presentations. Those are skills that they are not used to. Like for example, in my home country in Belgium, the government did a 70 page presentation to explain what the new ways of dealing with COVID were. It didn't work, it, it completely imploded. So what we are doing in one of the countries is the national upskilling platform for the civil service of the country. How do we make them the civil service 2.0? How do we make them relevant? How do we make them understand cybersecurity and the threats of cybersecurity? How do we make sure that they keep themselves to the code of conduct, et cetera, et cetera. So those are two, two uh, things. Another example, for example, would be a bank. One of the large banks that we work with, they just announced, hey, we, we, we are not a bank anymore. We are an IT services organization now. But how do you do that transformation? Because everything is ingrained into the, like, we need to have financial people and bankers that we have to hire. But actually, the workforce of, the of a bank is, is now a huge IT force instead of bankers and financial people. So how do you do that transformation? So we came in with the same platform and our analytics and our data and we help transform them. So that's like three categories of uh, problems that we're solving today. So how do you find the people that want to go on this journey together with you? Because on one end, you have um, very old school educators that are used to bulky learning management systems. And then you have the true visionaries. Um, how, how do you convert one or the other? Um, we, we have been lucky that we have been able to convert both ways already. I think for the, for the traditional people, it's like, you, you don't, you don't want to come over as a threat, right? Like, you know, my pitch won't be like, you're going to lose your job if you don't change. <laughs> Actually, it should be, <laughs> but it won't work. So if you impose a threat on, on, on their work that they have been doing, but we then try to say like, hey, whatever you have been doing is great, but this is how we can up the level a bit. If you work with us with these data, with these new data streams, you can up your work level as well. So it's, it's, it's been a challenge, but like I told you, um, we were talking with a lot of people. Um, last year, our product wasn't a necessity. It was a nice to have. So only the ones that truly believed in our vision would go for it. Today, it's changed. Today, what we are doing is becoming a necessity. So now they have to talk with us because they have seen the impact of COVID-19 and they have witnessed it with their own eyes. So now they are a believer as well. Okay. Um, you, you sound like a man on a mission. It seems to be your second one already. You're, uh, it's a second startup. Uh, what got you into that, that sea of trouble again? <laughs> actually, actually, um, um, I have more, more startups. Maybe it's my second successful startup and like a, a <laughs> dozen failures. <laughs> so I, I, I am what, what you would say a, a serial um, entrepreneur. To be very honest, um, you don't plan for these things to happen. Actually, one of the reasons why we started Epitome is that I came after a long time, I came to Asia and I did a successful exit and I was trying to find a job. 
and I just couldn't get a job. And the number one reason was that I didn't have a degree. But I was like, whoa, guys, I started so many companies. I was a chairman. I was a CEO. I did international business development. I, I worked in four continents. Like, I have experience, but that, that just didn't count. It was just like, you don't have a degree. You don't get a job. So then I, I happened to connect with a few people in Singapore, my co-founder, for example, who's now a chief learning officer. And we were talking about it, like, how, how mad is that? We are, we are having people that have talent that will never be able to, to do what they want to do just because they don't have the degree. So this is how we started like thinking about epitome and, and what we were doing before and then how we transform it. So we, we got into it in a mix. But I think the, the one thing is, you know, once that passion, once that fire starts burning inside you, once you have found that drive, you know, you're just unstoppable, right? So I have the really cool co-founders and really cool management you don't think about the misery you can go through because you will go through misery no matter what. But you just think about like, hey, we found it. We, we have a solution for the problem that we're seeing. We're just going to go for it hardcore now. Yeah. And, and it's what you said about COVID, right? Um, I always say nobody needs a better mousetrap if they don't know they have a problem with mice. Yeah. Now, now we have mice all around. So yeah. um, um, early on and... and maybe to, to bring it to what Chris said earlier on, um, we asked about billion dollar startups in the air tech sector, right? And a lot of them come out of countries that are more homogeneous. So you have huge countries like India or China or traditionally the US. How is it even possible with these very different countries and setups and systems in Asia or Southeast Asia, especially to scale? Yeah. So I actually want to pick back on something that Rush said before as well, right? So, so you know, we, we've been asked many times, when are you going to become a billion-dollar company? When are you going to become a unicorn? And I totally um, am in line with Rush there. I rather have an, an impact on a billion people than being a billion-dollar company. Um, that, that, is, that is our drive. So we, we never think about that tech. We only think about how can we impact even more people. But now the point that you addressed is a very good point. Let's say in, in, in ASEAN, which is one of the, the fourth or fifth largest economy right now in the world, ASEAN with 652 million people right now, um, 10 countries, but 10 extremely different education systems in there. So the startups that will be emerging in the next 12 months, those are want to be the ones that did they have when they built their organization, will they have had the mindset to think globally straight away or have they been catering for Indonesia or Singapore or Malaysia? Because then it's going to be very hard to grow. The other thing that I, that I, that I really want to say is that a few months ago at Tech, and that's why I have so much respect for a fund like, like Kaizen, but, but, but at Tech wasn't that big on the radar of all the VCs and the investors. Right, it it was not the most appealing thing to do. I think now with COVID nineteen, people's perspective has changed, must have changed, and it it's proven how important edutech is right now. All the platforms, all the learning platforms, LMS platforms, they all boomed. They all boomed during this this crisis. So so I I hope now that edtech is now taken very seriously that we will be getting fair valuations instead of the valuations that we had before so so i hope that that will then trigger a few companies uh in 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 asean that potentially could gun for that spot but it, it goes into that dna have they built their organization to become a global player straight away so on one hand, um, yes, you don't mind that much about the valuation as long as you impact uh, enough people, but you wouldn't mind if valuations would go up. So <laughs> that's fair. Um, uh, Chris, um, what's your take on um, how is the ad tech space changing with, with the COVID kind of uh, lockdown of borders and you know Singapore especially, a lot of them are going to the UK traditionally or to uh, Australia to study. Uh, how do you think uh, that will impact? Uh, the space. You know, you, you know Lars, you, you shouldn't really ask me. You should really ask the people with the money. And uh, therefore, Raj, <laughs> you, you know, really, what effect does COVID-19 and trade tensions have on the whole education sphere? Uh, the reality is, is that before COVID, we already had the trade war. We already had 
some protectionist, you know, movements. Uh, in Australia, over the last week, Jan, we have seen uh, a, a task force being set up just because of the plummeting amount of enrollments. So, Raj, if you can go first, and then we'll flip to you, Jan. What do you see happening, and how does this impact the Southeast Asian ecosystem for edtech? Right. No, this is a wonderful question, Chris. I think uh, this will need some bit of, you know, exchange of thoughts. To be honest, right? Uh, trade war was there before, and I think after this pandemic, you know, countries are going to close their border, um, and you know, some of the countries in the West will use this as an as an excuse, right? Um, you know, to uh, restrict the immigrations, um, and Southeast Asia. Um, India, China included, uh, you know, have been sending their students to the Western countries, this big population, which goes every year, right? Um, you know, so this transnational education will face a big problem. Um, and so I can see that. Now, you know, I'm just trying to think that how do we solve the problem, right? I mean, we know that there'll be a problem. Um, you know, unfortunately, higher education uh, you know, and universities in all these Southeast Asian countries, all the developing countries in Asia, you know, not that robust. Um, you know, we haven't been able to develop uh, that segment and, you know, there are reasons for that. Um, one way, you know, it can be developed, uh, you, you, there, are, uh, there are some uh, developed countries within Asia, for example, Australia, you know, with, uh, you know Japan, Korea, can we create an ecosystem, and to an extent Malaysia, right? Uh, you know, can we create an ecosystem, you know, within Asia, uh, you know, catering to this, uh, you know, student population who were looking to go to the West, but they cannot right now, you know, can we provide them with a good education? So that's number one, that's what I'm thinking, right? Number two is, uh, and there was some question I was just reading, um, can education travel across the border, you know? And, you know, it is already traveling, by the way. Yep. Uh, you know, there are companies in India, you know, who actually take the courses of this big universities in the US in a particular domain, and then they deliver online, you know, online, offline, you know, blended. So that remote learning piece is happening. Um, and can we, you know, kind of accelerate that, um, you know, instead of students going there, you know, can you get those, uh, you know, those, companies or those universities courses online over here, right? Um, you know, can, can that happen? So I think these are the combinations which I'm thinking about. And, and you know, just going back to what Jan said, um, you know, the other question, the, the, the bigger question is that do we really need this whole degree, you know, this massive pricey degree or can we do a you know do with specific micro degree for a particular skill set, you know after you graduate from your high school, can we do that? And you know so these are the ways I think to solve the problem. And um, you know companies, you know if you look at tech companies, Netflix, Google, they all have come out and said that you know we are okay to hire people you know from less traditional schools. Uh, who doesn't have that kind of degree, right? So I think combination of these will probably work and, um, you know, create a solution. Um, you know, it's great, this renewed interest, right? But I mean, could it just be a case of investors getting fatty and excited about, you know, something? I mean, everyone, look, I can tell you, maybe I'm just a bad father, right? But I was so happy in Singapore when my kids went back to school this week, right? And yeah, of course, here, when, yeah. my when my wife went back to work, um, because she's a dentist and has to go back to work for her patients, of course, you know, I can't survive and I'm struggling. But certainly the kids, I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm happy that they're gone. Will you really get people used to online models? I mean, would, would, would that just be something that just disappears after a while? How do you have confidence that it's just going to stay and, and this will actually be a new normal? No. So, you know, in, in the last few weeks and months, we have schools that went online, but also we had entire countries that went online at a certain moment. And one of the things that impacted that big time is 
choice. Suddenly there is a lot of choice. Like for example, my parents, my parents eat every Saturday at the same restaurant. Now suddenly they install the food app and they have hundred restaurants coming to their home on Saturday evening. So there's a lot of choice. The same thing goes with students. Students now have been moved online. Like Harvard online is now under like a little bit fire because why is it so expensive? While there is a Udemy, a Degreed, a Coursera or a Linda online uh, portal, why is yours so expensive? But I can find the same thing um, somewhere else for, for half the price. So I don't think we will ever go back to the, to the way how it was. I almost, honestly think the biggest impact of all this is gonna be that there is now a choice. Students will have more choice to upskill themselves for the future. I do believe that universities have to drastically change over time where they basically become a lifelong learning center where they create a lifelong learning mindset for the students so that they can reinvent themselves and reskill themselves over time and also can come back to the university to do short upskilling courses to keep them employable for the future. So, so I don't think we are exaggerating. I do, I do believe that we will never go back to how it was. And I think that the biggest contributor now is that there is a lot of choice suddenly for a lot of people with everything being online. And yeah, there is a lot of choice online. In fact, despite us reminding our uh, attendees to uh, put stuff on Q&A, I, I have an avalanche of questions coming through my WhatsApp. So uh, <laughs> we, we, let's go quickly to Q&A to uh, answer all the questions coming through on WhatsApp. Yep. Um, Lars, uh, yep. one of our favorite parts every week, rapid fire. Rapid fire. So we don't give you much choice, just two options. So you both have to answer just in one sentence. Uh, so university, place to learn or get drunk with friends? Raj, you go first. Drunk <laughs> uh, with friends, no. <laughs> Jan? I think it should be a combination of both. Oh, fair point. Future of education, university or YouTube? Jan, you go first. Uh, that's, that's a very difficult one. Um, I that also feel. would say a combination of both um, because um, <laughs> you know, we have to be fair to the universities. The universities and the professors and the doctors, they are not content creators. The YouTube guys, they are content creators. So they are competing. How can they work together? The knowledge of the professor, the skills of the YouTuber combined, perfect in my opinion. Okay, let's jump to the next one. University degree. Is it for people, is it people with a degree or people with desire? What matters for, for you know, completing your university journey? Degree or desire, Raj? Well, I would say that, you know, uh, it's desire, of course. I mean, it's not just a degree. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, I'm all in favor of, you know, democratizing the whole education sector. So, yeah, I mean, now yeah. you can guess all the answers you're going to ask me. <laughs> Desire or degree? Um, you know, from all my people in my organization that we have hired, I do not know from any one of them if they have a degree or not. I honestly do not know. But I do know how good they are their teamwork, communication, what excites them, what motivates them, what stresses them. I know that about them. So I would say desire. Yep. Skills for the future, ability to code or ability to change? Jan. I, I, would, I would go for ability to change uh, here because I think like, that's, that's going to be, you know, we have to rethink a lot of things. We have to reinvent a lot of things. I do believe that coding might become more automated in the future. So, yes, ability to change. Raj, you agree? Uh, ability to change the code. <laughs> <laughs> Last but not least, uh, rapid fire, jobs. Many new jobs or limited jobs in the future? I think there's going to be many new jobs, but I do believe that our kids are going to be inventing their own jobs. Okay. I just go with Jan right now. Yeah, new, <laughs> new kind of jobs for our kids, yeah. yeah. Okay, over to Chris and the pitch. The pitch, my favorite session. Raj, you have the money to spend and you're using it to change the world. We love it. So. 
for the founder that wants to be a part of that story, Raj, please tell us what should they not say to you? What will make you screaming from the door uh, to run to the door? And then as well, you know, what are the things they really need to make sure is clear to you so that you can really get to know the story and get on to the next step? So firstly, for the audience, listen, this is what not to say to Rush. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, in the investment world, when I first entered many years back, you know, people say you've got to learn what not to do, right? So, yeah, I mean, it's all, yeah. So it's always better to know that what not to do. But um, on a serious note, um, you know, we have, uh, so all entrepreneurs have our attention, just so you know, because, uh, you know, we respect their time. Uh, we respect the fact that they are trying to change. We respect the fact that they are creating a solution. Uh, you know, so, you know, so we always, have, you know, spend time to understand uh, and we just love to go and meet entrepreneurs in different countries, hear their story, what they're creating. We keep in touch with them all the time, right? As far as we can, as we can. Um, what we essentially looking for is, um, you know, a very crisp idea, at least in our stage, because we invest, uh, you know, in companies, um, what in typical VC world would say series B or in private equity, you know, growth stage. Um, so what we, what we generally look for is, uh, you know, the problems you're solving, how, you know, what has been your learning? You, because I'm sure you started somewhere, then you tweaked your model, uh, and then you have reached to this stage where you are attracting attention. What has worked, what has not worked? Um, so a clear idea about the product, what problem it's solving, and how, what's your idea to scale the business, right? Mm -hmm. um, what, what's your idea? And the one thing which I love is, you know, what's your idea to scale the team? Um, because, uh, you know, that's one important aspect when you have a product, which has some early adopters or just beyond early adopters, um, you know, it's working well, but to get to the mass, to get to a broader section of people, you need to create a team who can scale the business. And often that requires a different set of skill sets. So if you have realized that, please come forward and say that, well, these are the areas where, I, where we think that you know, there are gaps in the team, or these are the areas I don't fully understand. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, we are looking for people who we can work with to, uh, you know, to enhance that solution which they have already created. Um, so that kind of approach uh, is what I'm looking for, to be honest. Um, and va 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 you know, valuation is just, you know, topic which will come just much numbers. Later. Few zeros. What are, what are a few zeros among friends, right? <laughs> and, we, and we will surely drop one zero. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, you know, you're on a man on a mission. You're on a roll. It's fantastic. But to give us mere mortals out there a, a bit of a fighting chance, pitches. You know, what's worked? Uh, what hasn't? <laughs> what can you share with us? That's for me. Yes. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. Um, actually. I, I really love what Raj said, uh, basically. Raj, can I send you my investment deck after this uh, webinar? <laughs> yeah, right now you can project it, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, but, but I think uh, one, 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 of, one of the things that, that we have been focused on extremely from the beginning is, is our mission, our vision, the problem that we are solving. What is the problem that we're solving and what is the solution? And to be very honest, that hasn't changed since the three years that we have started. But... A big change that has been happening in, for us in the last few months and year plus is the opportunity. There is so much new opportunity that came to us. We started as an ed tech organization. We started and we were very proud of it. But today our mandate is we are doing national workforce platforms. We are doing national upskilling programs. We are doing national reskilling programs. We are doing national analytics programs. So our mandate completely changed. So we're doing way more than, than Editech. So the opportunity changed a lot. And that is sometimes very challenging to explain because suddenly I am surfing the golden triangle. I am looking into education, into enterprises and into government. And there is nobody else in the world that does that other than the big five. Right. So why are you doing, Jan? Why are you doing what the big five should be doing? So trying to capture that 
um, opportunity and the increased opportunities that we got into a business plan and translate that to an understandable future-proof business plan, that's a challenge. And that is something that we constantly are tweaking on. Because every day we learn more. We learn more about data. We learn more about customers. Today we have data from 40 countries. We are monetizing in four to five countries. So, so what do we learn in the other countries? What is the speed of going to market? And all that will come back then to your, your business plan. And that's something that personally, myself, I, I completely hate to work on a business plan because it changes all the time. I rather keep a tight eye on my cash flow and be in control over my cash flow and know what's coming in and what's going out and then know what runway that we have. But that's the biggest change that I've been seeing in the last year and a half is that increase of opportunity while we are still doing the same thing as before. Okay, thank you. Let, let's go to some of the questions from the audience. Um, one is, um, what's the role of AI in online education and which technology will make the maximum impact? Uh, Jan, you're the, you're the man on the street, so uh, what, what's your take on it? Ooh, yeah, I, I, I think like, um, you know, I always find it uh, quite, quite funny when, when you see like companies that say like, hey, we are an AI startup and we exist two months, you know, like, ah, that doesn't really works, that doesn't really exist. What's your historical data with your data sets and whatsoever. Obviously, AI is going to be an important tool of the future. Um, it's like the same thing when we had cars, right? Back in the days when you had an automatic car, it would say automatic at the back. Today, every car is automatic. It's normal. So today we are talking about AI. In the next two years, every single organization that we know will do something with AI. So, mm. so it's very hard to say which one specifically, but like, for example, what, what we are doing, um, I can give you a small example of how we are uh, using and introducing AI, for example. We are collecting huge amounts of data um, from individuals, from jobs, from reskilling, from content, et cetera, et cetera. So we are, be, we are able to measure a workforce of a country, but we are also able to predict the workforce of the future of that country, which then you can map to the demand of that country and really understand what jobs are coming and what the mismatch would be. That's how we are, for example, using it. Who will be the winner? I got no idea, but I do know that every startup will be using data analytics and AI at a certain extent. The next questions I'll, I'll combine um, because the first question was, what is needed if possible at all to achieve a truly universal education system? Uh, and the second question is, today, every country has its own syllabus. Um, how can we get them together that teaching can be globalized, right? It's the same question from different perspectives. Raj, you want, you want to get, uh, get going at that one? No, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's a great question. I mean, you know, it also, I was noting some other question where it talks about, can education, onla online education companies move from other, one country to other country? And, you know, there's a live example. Take the example of Khan Academy, right? And I, I can see the question in front of me, math should be the same everywhere. Math is the same everywhere, right? I mean, it's not just Khan Academy. There are tech companies, you know, based in Australia, you know, those, you know, all these, uh, you know, uh, supplementary online education system are getting used in India, getting used in Malaysia, uh, I know for a fact. So um, I think, uh, you know, grade-wise uh, concept, which concept should be taught in different subjects, at least in, uh, you know, maths, science and English, um, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, you know, there is, it's pretty much standard. Um, it's a matter of uh, it's it's a matter of who will take the plunge and say that okay we want to aspire to become a global company hmm. like Khan Academy has done it. Yeah. I just want to touch on something that Jan mentioned, and and, and I really hope not. But you know, um, are universities dead? Will they die? Um, because you know, what Jan talked about was that Harvard online etc. You know, was under a bit of fire and everyone's re-evaluating the cost, right? And even if we look at employment, yeah, and the path to, you know, this was a path to a better life, but now we have, uh, you know, less certainty of actually getting that job. So a real diminished return on investment in terms of going to university. Um, 
you know, are the universities going to die? Uh, you know, do they have to have to have to actually change their modalities altogether? They 100% have to change. Um, I actually want to go back real quick to that previous question as well. Our education system has also not been updated in the last 100 years, right? So, you know, our parents got the same topics and the same lessons than what we had. Um, what we are not realizing right now is that our kids will have to go through major career switches in their life at least five, six times maybe in their life that they have to reinvent themselves, that they have to reskill themselves. So, so that education platform, we need, we need to optimize it. We are still having a, a, a K-12 education system which prepares our kids to be factory workers, basically, instead of independent thinkers. So that's, that's the first part that we need to fix. And universities, I think universities are, are important. I, I, I would never, never would want that, you know, machines or robots take away the job of the teacher. The job of the teacher is there to create passion for a subject, is there to motivate the students. But universities do have to change, though, because they have to start building a lifelong learning mindset in all their students. Because whatever you learn today can be irrelevant in two to three years. A technology you use today to code will be gone in two to three years. So how do you embed that lifelong learning mindset in all your university students? How are you able to let them come back after they went out to the industry and then they have to upskill themselves or reskill themselves. How can you be that center point to help uh, do that? You know, one of the things that we see that our data says is that for certain graduates in, in the region, it takes nine to 12 months before they find a job. And the only reason why is because they do not have the skills that the industry is looking in today. And industry is looking today into more soft skills, in, into like your communication work. If I put you into a team, will you gel well with my team? How good of a communicator are you? So all those things we have to optimize that, that the universities get that data back from the demand so that they can optimize a syllabus and change the syllabus to, so that their students become more employable. And then the lifelong learning mindset needs to become important because those guys will return back for short courses. Like for example, we have to um, change uh, accountants into data scientists, which is perfectly possible. You, you, uh, accountants are losing their job because of automation. How do you bring them back into the economy? They have already 85% of the mathematical mindset to become a data scientist with some smart upskilling and reskilling boom, they contribute back to the economy. So, so that's the, that point, that lifelong center um, that, that the universities have to transform into. And obviously, the subscription methods and the payments and whatever it is, it all doesn't work anymore. You can't charge the students the same for an online school as for a physical school with professors. They have to relook into the subscription model and the pricing model. So they have to, they have to reinvent themselves as well. And um, fantastic. Um, I think that what, what we learned today is really about that the education systems are forced to change. Uh, the force came, uh, that, that uh, force field came externally uh, because of physical movements restricted, being home, um, and the economies are changing at a speed that we are not even aware of. Um, and as you said earlier, Jan, um, uh, at EduTech, uh, was to some extent seen as a nice to have and it's enforced as a necessity. Um, yeah. And we're very great, grateful that we had both of you today on the show. Um, that's already wrapping it up. Uh, I think we had time for most of the questions from the audience. One last one for Raj, are you hiring? <laughs> yes, without a degree, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> The, uh, do we have uh, do we do we have the background slide? Okay, there we Excellent. go. Excellent. All right. Really, thank you so much, Raj, and thank you, Jan, for joining us today. Uh, our next topic and guests are in a fortnight and yet to be announced. However, please stay tuned uh, for not only the announcement of what that topic and our guests will be but replays of our webinars, which will be posted, podcast versions of the show, and also our blog posts. You know, it was really hard to talk about, uh, sorry, really hard to pick, uh, you know, my favorite sound bites, uh, but I'll have a go, and this, this week, maybe I'll make an exception, I'll get to each. Raj, 
thank you so much for democratize the education. Desire is core. And when when you talk about, you know, getting getting the money, absolutely. It's not just scaling the tech. How do you actually scale and build the team? So Raj, that was that was that was great. Jan, um, I don't know the degree of any single employee. Uh, fantastic. And you know, the workforce of tomorrow will will have to invent their own jobs. So, you know, that's a responsibility, but a, a fantastic opportunity. At Southeast Asia Connect, we are here for our tech entrepreneurs and investors. Get the money from investors like Raj, build the dream from entrepreneurs such as Jan, and let's all grow together to win. If you, Lars? Yeah, so if you are a Series A entrepreneur or above, raise money, grow your business and exit, please reach out to Chris the Man and his team at northridgepartners.com. Um, and uh, northwestpartners.com will help you to uh, hopefully have that big exit. But as we learned from Jan, it's more about how many people do you influence than how much do you uh, do you raise or how big is the valuation. Anyone in the audience to get famous for all the right reasons, of course, reach out to Lars and the team at Precious Communications. That's and for the website, it's Precious Coms C Precious. C-O-M-M-S dot com. Okay, dokes. Uh, and that's it for today. One thing that I learned is uh, that I shouldn't share with my kids. Um, if they would know that it's not clear what they have to learn for the new jobs in the future, they would ask me not to go to school tomorrow. So I'll keep that uh, soundbite for myself. So that's last signing off. Thank you. Thank and you. This is Chris. Thank you, everyone. You can, be, you can be anywhere else today but with us. So thank you everyone for joining today to be part of Southeast Asia Connect. We celebrate the entrepreneurs solving today's problems to create a better future. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you.